Welcome to part two of our episode on productivity processes and self and time preservation. In part one, we talked about some of the techniques that very much do not work for us and some BS advice that has not really worked to help us manage our time. What we also did is talked about two of the big techniques that I use when I find myself sliding into the ditches and feeling like I don't know where my day or my time goes. The two big things that we talked about was using the Pomodoro technique as well as the productivity planner. I am on no commission whatsoever for the productivity planner. It is simply a tool that I have used, I have found success with. And if the things that I'm talking about now sound completely foreign to you, head back to part one and you will hear in more detail exactly what we're talking about. So for part two, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about the technical side, and I'm going to ask LP to share with us some of the ways that she has increased her productivity that does not include waking up at the crack of dawn. Or ass since, crack of dawn. Oh, excuse me, ass crack of dawn. How embarrassing <laughs> that I would have forgotten what you, call, forgotten what you called it. Also, <laughs> that was worth it. I'm sorry to have interrupted your flow there, but I just, it was got it wrong. 100% worth it. Yes, always correct me, please. Feedback, appreciated, internalized. I will never make that mistake again. One thing that I have done and I have talked about before is taking my email off my phone. I've removed my work email from my phone entirely. I've deleted the app. And right now I have three email accounts. I have a personal one, I have a compliment one, and I have one for the Amanda Wagner. I deleted them from my phone in March and then a few weeks ago, I cheated. Liz is shaking her head at me right now. I can feel it. I didn't full on add the mail app back, but I opened a tab in Safari that was perpetually there and I would check it all the time. I'm judging you, but I've done this too. Like I've gone on vacation from work and so I wouldn't be logged in, but I would check and see if I was missing anything big. So I'm, I'm judging you, but also I've been there. I, this is like a shameful, dirty little secret for somebody who's put out in the world, I don't put my email on my phone and here I am cheating. And guess what happened? I check it first thing in the morning. I check it at night before I go to bed. I work with a wonderful woman who has a full family. And so her time to catch up on email is usually 10 to 11 PM. How much good do you think it's doing for me to read her emails and not action them. Instead, I would just spin and I would have dreams about her, about our work together. And I was not actually getting a restful sleep. So going back to basics means that on Monday, I closed that window. I haven't opened it up and I am not letting my email guide my day or my life. I am shocked and embarrassed by how much power I give to my email account and how often I let other people guide what I'm doing. Liz, what's your relationship like with your email on your phone? I have had notifications shut off for email for a few years. So I don't get the pop-up saying that I have a new email, but I still do check it once or twice a day. So it's not too bad. It's not perfect, but I, I have distanced myself a little bit. I find myself putting it in the rotation of things that I check. Oh, I check yeah, my I'm Instagram, not... both accounts. I check my email 
three accounts. I check my Facebook, one completely inactive account that I rarely pay attention to, but just creep other people's pictures of kids and cats and dogs. But it just became something of a habit that even if I wasn't checking the actual app, I would go into Safari and find the tab that I had open. So in order to let me guide my day by using the Pomodoro technique, the productivity planner, and getting rid of email on my phone, I also have to check my email less just on my laptop. So again, it's like Liz mentioned in part one, she knows somebody who clarifies in her email that this is the time that I check my email. I also think it's really interesting because I know that there are apps and plugins that can let somebody know when you've opened their email. And that's often what pulls me back thinking, do I want my clients to know that I'm reading their email at 1030 on a Sunday night? Absolutely not. So often that's what kind of pulls me back from it going, do I want to be known as the person who works all the time? Do I want to be known as somebody who responds to emails immediately and will just drop everything? I don't because that's impossible to keep up with. It's completely unsustainable for me. So these three techniques that I use, Pomodoro, the Productivity Planner, and closing the email app, all work to combat something called Parkinson's Law. And even if this is the first time you're hearing this name, I bet you can relate. Parkinson's Law is the idea that work expands so as to fill the time which is available for its completion. In layman's terms, this means that the more time we give to a certain task, the longer we will take to complete it, even if it could be completed in a short amount of time. This is particularly true for me when I was teaching and it was time to mark papers. If I gave myself an hour to mark two papers, it would take me an hour. But if I gave myself two hours to mark two papers, it would also take two hours. Simply having a name for this is helping me avoid getting caught in taking way too long to do something that really requires less time. If the time is there, I will fill it. And that for me is the, the basis of the Pomodoro. If I only have 25 minutes, you betcha I'm gonna get it done in 25 minutes. This also means that I am putting in more end times on meetings and calls in the calendar invite or asking ahead of time, how long do you think this is gonna take? Should I book 30 minutes or 45 minutes? Nobody has time for a two-hour meeting. Nobody has energy for that. And guaranteed that if you set two hours for a meeting, you're going to take two hours. And you're probably going to meander your way through the agenda if there even is an agenda. By shortening the amount of time, chances are you're going to say, we only have 40 minutes, let's get down to business. When I have a shorter amount of time, that's where I actually get shit done. It also means that if I get shit done in that shorter amount of time, there's less guilt and less shame of ending my day at three o'clock. One thing that I have learned from Liz and really keep close with me is the idea that Liz starts her day at nine o'clock in the morning. Some days she works till six at night. Some days she works till 2 p.m. But that regular start time adds some consistency and some routine. And then instead of focusing just on I must work an eight hour day, five days a week, you focus on actual completion of tasks. Liz, is this still something that you find yourself doing on a daily basis? 
I'm really trying. I have a new puppy. <laughs> um, She's adorable. If anyone wants to go see Mabel, please go visit my Instagram. I don't know why I post photos of anything else. Mabel has taken over in terms of popularity. Should have got a dog years ago for my own personal brand. (laughs) This is true. Maybe we should add her to the Amanda Wagner account. And really, let's get that follower count up to a thousand. All we need is a cute puppy. Maybe I can throw my cat in there too. (laughs) Yeah. That's the A plus content that people want. Penny, Adventures of Penny and Mabel. That's cute. So I, I mean... Nine o'clock was a hard start time for me until Mabel. Mabel gets up um, earlier than I would like some days. So sometimes I start my work day earlier just because I'm up and she's a dog and she's not a great conversationalist. So I might as well do some work. But I really am trying to get back to that nine o'clock time. I did it today. It felt really good. And it, that was a reminder that when I start at nine, I'm a a better person and I'm better at doing my work because I'm treating it like a normal commute into the office, whatever it is with that, with that solid start time. I've definitely adopted the 9am start time. It's also helped me commit to less. I joined a fantastic co-working group in Toronto and was really excited about the community of people, but so many of the meetings were at 10 o'clock Eastern, which is eight o'clock AM for me. And after a month of, of trying to make it work and showing up a little sleepy and not quite, they, they're not ready to start my day, I had to say, this isn't working for my life right now. So it's also helping me uncommit to things that aren't within my working hours. And this one of the techniques that I use to stay focused or to, to be more productive is scheduling emails, which we I think we talked about briefly in part one. Uh, so I'm big on scheduling emails. And time zones is a big part of that. So I work and I live in the Pacific time zone, but I have clients in the prairies and in Ontario. So when I dive back into my email and I respond to a bunch of emails, like a batch work almost, I schedule all of those out. So they're going out out at a time that makes sense for those people, but also setting an expectation of when my emails come out from me. So I have all of these different hours and time zones to work with. So scheduling emails is a really big thing for me as one of the the tools that I use. That is one of the best things I have learned from you. It also helps mitigate the, do I want this person to know that I'm responding to their email at 10 o'clock at night? Absolutely not. I will send it at 8.30 tomorrow morning. I will schedule that email to go out at a time that works for me as well as the person I'm sending it to. And Liz, I know you write a big email to me on Fridays and I know that I get it on Monday morning at 7.01 a.m. It's just like our weekly routine. I write it at about 11 a.m. my time on Fridays, but you get it at seven o'clock your time on Mondays. Uh, In addition to scheduling when your emails are sent out, what are other tools or techniques that you use to help you stay focused and really move the needle on big projects? To-do lists everywhere. I am the queen of the to-do list maybe too much. I have been made fun of in the past for all of the lists that I write. I write tomorrow's to-do list at the end of today. And on Fridays, I write a list of priorities for the following week so that when I'm thinking about what I'm going to accomplish each day next week, I have a large list to draw from. So I can, I can chip away at the big things that I know I want to get done by the end of the week. So I have that really big list that I can then split into smaller tasks. So I do that consistently every day. 
today we are recording on a Thursday. Friday's list is actually already written because I know what's left on my big priority list. So I was able to split that work over today and tomorrow. So I have that big, sorry, go ahead. I love that you do that the night before because then the first half hour of your day isn't this like flustered, oh my God, what am I going to do today? You really just kind of have this rollover. And so nine o'clock isn't sit down, putz around, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do this. It's like, nope, I have a task. I actually start at nine. The last office I worked in, uh, my team used to make fun of me big time because you flip through my notebook and it's just all old lists. But when I'm done with a task, I obliterate it on the list. So you don't actually know what was there. So you scroll back (laughs) through my notebook and it looks like I'm trying to hide something because you can't read any of the words that were there. When your item is done, it is dead to you. (laughs) (laughs) If you look through my, like my notebooks right here, it's like, I don't know what any of the stuff says because I've just obliterated it. Uh, So I have the the big kind of master list for the week that I split into smaller lists, but I also have a big paper calendar that I kind of use as like a a bit of a content planning calendar for all of the people I work with. But then I also have a a digital to-do list for recurring tasks. I know it's it's a lot. Um, Yeah, it's a lot, but it's what works for me. There you go. And that's the thing. It has to be something that works for you. I am in limbo right now between my giant paper calendar and my digital calendar. Mm -hmm. And I would say it works 85 to 90% of the time because sometimes I will jot something down on my paper calendar and not put it in my digital one or vice versa. But I love the visual representation of my paper one. And again, something else that that works for me is instead of this really long to-do list where I would add things like eat lunch, reheat my coffee, so that I could cross it off and say that it was something I had done, the paper calendar helps me see two things a day. That's the max that in a perfect world, I would only ever schedule two things for myself in a day because I know yesterday, for example, I had four one-hour calls and an in-person meeting. You betcha that was the day that I got home and was cranky at Robin for the silliest thing because I was burnt out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really try and treat my office as like when I walk in at nine o'clock, the workday begins. So my paper calendar has nothing but work on it. And the calendar on my phone is for my personal life. Like that's where my fitness classes are. And that's where our weekend activities are. That's where Mabel's puppy classes. It's all in that calendar. All the work stuff is in the office and the rest of the stuff is outside these doors. That's a really nice differentiator too. I know with working from home and with COVID, so many people having to make a home office, not everybody has the space to have a dedicated office space. And we are lucky that we do have that but setting a boundary on this space is also really important. I don't eat breakfast in this room. I don't watch Netflix in this room. If I'm taking a break, I physically leave my office and I light a candle in here all the time. When I leave, I blow out the candle. I like to believe it's a little homage to, are you afraid of the dark? Where I like throw the secret powder and it takes out the flame. I did not think that that's what you were going to say. (laughs) Oh, what did you think? I, I just wasn't expecting, are you afraid of the dark? I just, I don't know. The 30 somethings listening to this are going to go, yeah, girl, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. 
I, um, I have one more technique that is related to treating the workspace for work and treating other spaces for other things. And we've talked about starting the day at nine o'clock. I always try and start the day before that with intention. So if my workday starts at nine, before I start work, I like to eat breakfast. I read all of my, I am, I get so many email newsletters. It's ridiculous, but it's one of my favorite. I love an email newsletter. I have, I have several that I read every morning and then I, I will usually read some sort of online food magazine probably, or scroll through Twitter or something. I give myself some time to enjoy my matcha or to have a coffee. And I really give myself that personal time before I start. I find if I do that, I'm more likely to be dialed in when I get to work and not be tempted to mess around on my Apple News app or to scroll through Twitter or whatever it is. That if I give myself that time, start the day more intentionally, I'll be more productive once the workday actually starts. I love the idea of a workday warm-up. And it seems that like that is kind of your, your warm up routine. You take your time, you eat an enormous breakfast. Liz is the queen of like delicious, hearty breakfast that again, follow her on Instagram. You will see all about her savory oats and you're giving yourself that time to kind of ease into your workday so that when your workday starts, it's time to work. Absolutely. Yeah. So to-do lists, scheduling emails, and starting the day with intention are my three big tools for prioritizing, uh, being productive, and that self-preservation piece as well. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing all of those, Liz. My hope is that with our five techniques plus an understanding of Parkinson's law and how the time you give yourself for a task is likely how long you're going to take, you can help boost your own productivity without having to increase the number of hours that you work. Let's not forget one last thing, which is asking for help. When I'm in the weeds, I call my productivity master and I meet with her for an hour to help find clarity in what I'm doing and how to get there. She is so good at reminding me that my inbox doesn't have to guide my life. She helps remind me that I'm allowed to check it once a day, and she really helps me reclaim my time and bring back some objectivity into how I work. So consider what that might be for you. Maybe it's a virtual assistant or online business manager. Once you get a good look at where your time is going, and for me, that often means dedicating some specific time to writing down everything I do in a week. When I look at that list, I can look at what do I just have to do? what can be delegated to somebody else or what can be eliminated. I'm a big believer in the concept of mental health money. So for example, one of the things that, that we are working towards is I would love if somebody would clean our home to spend the money on somebody that cleans our home means that we're freeing up some of our mental space for other things. I will include a link in the show notes to a Harvard Business Review article that is titled, Make Time for the Work That Matters. And they use the same theory. They call it drop, delegate, or redesign. What are the tasks that I can get rid of? What can I give to somebody else? Or what do I simply need a better way of doing so that I can find some clarity going forward? 
So we would love to hear from you. Share with us one way that you keep yourself accountable and focused. Maybe it's one of the techniques we've mentioned that you're giving a try, or maybe it's something that you you're saying, Amanda and Liz really need to try this because it has worked for me. So please join the conversation with us on Instagram at the Amanda Wagner, and please tell us what works for you. Moving on to what would Amanda Wagner do or WWAWD? I really think you're going to like this question. This one's from Megan who says, Hey, AW, love the show. I'm a big people pleaser. I'll admit it. I usually drop everything at work to help someone else. This has helped me in certain aspects of my career, but I also think it's negatively impacted me as well. I'm often trusted with work projects, but I get suckered into doing things that are way outside of my role. What are some tips on creating boundaries and still being respected? Hi, Megan. Thank you for listening, for loving the show. And I want to say I'm the founding member of the People Pleasing Club. We should get t-shirts or pins or something. Everything that you're saying, I'm nodding along to going, yes, this is me or this was me. And I found my way out of it in some ways. What I will say is that when I am at my most people-pleasing state, it's because I haven't set my own boundaries and I haven't set expectations. It is impossible to expect somebody else to meet your expectations or align and respect your boundaries if they aren't set. What's the ideal day and what's your ideal role? Finding some clarity on what are your best times to work? So I've said for me, that's between 9 a.m. and noon. I'm not giving away that time to my inbox anymore. Instead, that's where I do my brain work, my thinking work. What I've also done is on Mondays and Fridays, I don't do strategy calls or meetings because I've blocked off those two days. What is magical, and I know I'm making this sound easy, I promise that it is not easy, but I promise that the result is really good. I have clients who know this, I state it from the beginning, and their response is, oh, okay, how's Tuesday? Nobody has been mad at me, nobody is disappointed in me, nobody thinks I'm not working hard or working enough hours, and quite often, it's actually a way for me to win some respect. As much as I'm a people pleaser, I don't want people to think I'm a pushover. I don't want people to think that they can say jump and I will say how high. Sit down, spend some time thinking about what are the boundaries that you want to create? And then let's do some work on who needs to know what boundaries exist and how can I tell them? Earlier in the episode, LP shared that somebody has it right in their email signature that says, I don't answer emails before noon. So those are the types of little tweaks that you can make that can help people figure out what your workday is like. So a lot of the things I'm suggesting here are coming through my lens of being a business owner and really having control of my day. If you are in a situation where you are working for a company or an organization and you have other people that might need to know your boundaries or look through your job description to figure out exactly what you do, I still recommend sitting down and coming up with a plan, but that sounds like it's gonna be a conversation that you're going to need to have with people around you. So before you set that meeting, can you look back at your job description and say, 
how far off are we from what you're actually supposed to be doing? Alternatively, if you don't have a job description, I know many people don't or they're really outdated, can you create your own? Ask yourself the questions, what am I responsible for? What are the metrics that matter in my role? Who do I report to? And a lot of those questions dig into the how. I'll give you an example. One of the, I was working with somebody on creating expectations for their team member. And they said, we want you to increase followers on our social media. And my question is, okay, but how? Does that mean posting a certain number of times a week? Does that mean actively engaging with other people? So dig into what does that look like? If in your job description, it says, have meetings with this other person on the team. Can you clarify and say, I, in my role, I will have one meeting every two weeks with this person and we will discuss this and this and this. So don't underestimate the, the power that you have over your own job and how that works. And more than anything, I have indeed had traditional jobs. Set the meeting and come prepared. Tell your boss, your supervisor, whoever you're working with, I'm really working on setting some boundaries in my day and I'd love to come to you and present a plan for what that looks like. Because then not only do you go in feeling totally empowered and you've done the work, but it's going to make it a lot easier for your supervisor, your boss, your teammates to go, yep, Megan's got it together. This sounds right. Having that documentation, again, it's all about bringing in some objectivity. It's not just going into your boss and saying, I'm overwhelmed and throwing your hands up and not knowing what to do. You're coming in with a plan. I really hope this answers your question, Megan. Um, if it doesn't, or you would like more specificity, please send me a DM on Instagram. Oftentimes when I get those, I will respond to you just with a video in that moment. So I am more than happy to have this conversation. It sounds very difficult. And at the very least, we really should have t-shirts for people pleasing. So I, I feel you. Thank you for listening. We are indeed here to support you. That is excellent advice. Thank you, Amanda, for that. And thank you, Megan, for your question. I know that you are not alone, obviously, with being in the people-pleasing club, but I think we all know that feeling when we've been given, given tasks and it's taking away from the role that we were originally hired to do. And that's a frustrating feeling. So thank you so much for reaching out. We wish you the best and hopefully the advice AW has will help you get some clarity and help you establish those boundaries. Please keep submitting your questions. You can send them to us on Instagram at the Amanda Wagner. You can go to theamandawagner.com and submit via email there as well. We love getting your questions and I love hearing AW answer them. To wrap up this episode, please join us on Instagram and share with us one way that you keep yourself accountable and focused, whether it's a technique that you have used before and it's tried and true or something new that you're giving a try to. We love to brainstorm these and then we can use them to help more people. A big thank you for joining us for today's two-part episode. And because we live by Don't Ask, Don't Get, if you love the show and something we've said is stuck with you, we would love for you to head to the podcast app and leave us a review. The podcast is all funded by me, Amanda. And the more five-star ratings and reviews we get, the more it helps us get noticed by more brilliant people like yourself. We will, oh, usually I say we'll be back in two weeks, but this is going on on Friday. So we will be back in 
less than two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then, we will see you on the internet.